Hello and welcome to Canarent's Sound of Play. Wednesday in Sound of Play, we bring you some of our and your favorite pieces from the mini video game soundtracks we've enjoyed over the decades. 
Joining me, Ryan Heyman, in Sound of Play is the band that performed that song that you heard on the way into the show. That's a nice kind of low-key jazz piece. And uh, performing that were the 8-Bit Jazz Heroes. And that is uh, Adam, and I'm going to... I'm going to try on the last names. We did not work this out beforehand. So this is a live <laughs> discovery process going on here. Uh, but I would say uh, Bellotto, that right? 10 out of 10 on the first try. Nicely done. All right, cool. Well, Adam, of course, is the guitarist. We have the bassist, Robbie Delase. We, we, we say Delosia. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> Half and half. <laughs> not, not bad. All right. So the 8-bit jazz heroes. I'm I'm curious, first of all, I mean, obviously 8-bit is a uh, nice video gamey term, but where did that name come from? <laughs> um, it originally came from, we were, um, it was not our first band name. No. We were the BD mm-hmm. Jazz Duo, which was, I think, entirely just a terrible placeholder name. Uh, Bellato <laughs> Delosier. Yeah, it was, um, mm. it was a case of, what's your band called? Uh, <laughs> BD Jazz Duo. Yeah. So that's kind of what it was. And then we're doing all this video game music. Mm-hmm. We should have something way more catchy than BD Jazz Duo. And we did fight about it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, you, <laughs> Robbie had the kernel of the first idea, which was just 8-bit jazz. Right. And we were looking, mm-hmm. you know, make sure no one else had that. There was like one guy making 8-bit music, I think. Singapore? Singapore, yeah. And he called 8-bit jazz. But our lawyer said that if he's in Singapore and not doing quite what we're doing, we should be fine. I originally wanted, we were just going to say 8-Bit Jazz, and then I wanted the 8-Bit Jazz Band, and Robbie wanted the 8-Bit Jazz Heroes, right. and I forget how, but eventually you did win the argument. Yeah, um, basically, perseverance, wearing Adam down, <laughs> having everybody say, no, Heroes sounds way better than the 8-Bit Jazz Band. <laughs> so, um, he admitted his fault, and let me <laughs> let me have the name. If it makes any difference, all my friends were voting with me. So. Right, but you don't have any friends, so I won. Ouch. Has there been a peace and resolution since then with the name? For yeah, sure. because everybody cool, absolutely cool. thinks it's the coolest name ever. Uh, so the 8-bit jazz heroes, of course, 8-bit kind of refers back to an earlier point in gaming. And I believe all of the tracks of your own that you've uh, put forward for this recording have uh, been based on kind of older video game tracks. Although, do you do anything that's newer or... Kind of that middle, like PlayStation Two era type of music, or is it just the kind of chip tuny stuff that you like to convert the most? We've started moving into more um, newer stuff. It's really we don't so much have like a specific like goal as to what era we're trying to do, mm-hmm. but I mean, primarily, I mean, this whole thing started as like using the video game music as a way to get like a sort of a more emotional connection between mm-hmm. us and other people with jazz. And so that that came into using, you know, the the songs and the the games we played growing up, which naturally is older stuff. But now we've got we do um, City Escape from Sonic Adventure Two. Oh, okay, yeah, still alive yeah, from, still Portal. from Portal. Portal, um, mm. the Halo theme. We don't do as much. It's also more difficult because a lot of the stuff now, like I've been playing um, the new Doom. And that's just like that's mm-hmm. metal on the soundtrack. That would be an interesting conversion, though. Yeah. And, and a lot of a lot of modern day video games kind of tend to be just like tonal landscape stuff, and it's right. really hard to find a hook in that. Yeah, that's like people have requested us doing um some of the Breath of the Wild music. Yeah, and mm-hmm. a lot of the music in that is just like ambient kind of atmospheric piano stuff, and it'd be a very because mm-hmm. with jazz, you really need like a strong melody to kind of anchor the piece. 
And if there's not that in what you're trying to adapt, it becomes really difficult. Yeah. And we don't really do the acid jazz kind of sound. <laughs> you know, I mean, we could we could do just like the tone, tonal chords, and then people would be like, what are you doing? And <laughs> I just... <clears throat> It's we're, we're more straight ahead 60s mm-hmm. white guy jazz combo. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of like <laughs> our, our, our wheelhouse. Mm-hmm. And like my roommate, when we started playing, rehearsing at my house, my roommate came in and she's all, I never got jazz until now because I know the song that you're referencing and now I know mm-hmm. what you're doing with it. And I get I have a roadmap now because I I have that prior knowledge of the music. So yeah. Yeah. Being able to kind of anchor yourself in with a familiar motif and then watch as it's deconstructed over the course of the track is a a really good way into jazz. How would you describe, and of course we've heard a piece of yours already, but how would you describe your style if, if somebody were to ask about it very laid back yep, yep. <laughs> what we get a lot what we hear from people is chill um it's interesting because our sound is actually now starting to change uh this album hmm. is just the two of us but we've actually just recently added um a third guy into the group a drummer named abel olstead and he has a very different kind of style than yeah. the two of us do he's much more i think partly because he's a drummer he's much more high energy um he's a, he's a lot more of an aggressive player and it's really interesting sort of seeing where the now it's like sort of two opposites kind of fighting each other, which I think is great. Yeah. Because it's now we sort of rein him in sometimes. And like when we when we play, say, like a gig where they specifically want background music and they don't really care like what kind of jazz. So we can just mm-hmm. oh, we'll do, you know, Mario, or we'll do Nintendo, we'll yeah. do video game stuff. Then it's like we're sort of taking the lead. But then now we're, we're, we're going to be doing shows that are be like us on a stage and more of like a concert event. And with that, I'm, I'm sort of hoping that he's going to sort of bring us out into a much more intense energy. Interesting. And now, especially, I think it's very noticeable in this first piece that you played, but also in the others as well, is that the uh, you have a very kind of constant bass melody that kind of serves almost a percussive role as well. Uh, it's kind of evocative of uh, that era of of jazz as jazz was still kind of like moving up the Mississippi, like, you know, post ragtime, but before it like got to Chicago, you know, that that kind of interim era of jazz where um, the, the bass was a lot more percussive and the, the bass lines were a lot more kind of steady and driving throughout the piece. And so it's it's going to be a Kind of interesting to see the the way that it evolves as the pure percussion becomes uh, more deeply incorporated into the sound. It's cool for me because I've always been the rock steady bass player. I mean, most bands that I've been in didn't have a drummer or didn't have a very strong drummer. So it was me holding the rhythm a lot of times. So now it, it's it's great because Abel's a great drummer and can hold that beat so I can kind of play play around and not just hold the quarter notes yeah, and keep yeah. it writing. Well, that's very cool. And we'll get into the uh, origins of the band and some of the history and everything. But right now, I am uh, curious as to that piece that we've already heard. Uh, this, of course, is a very recognizable tune or at least a uh, version of it, the Overworld theme by Koji Kondo from Super Mario Bros. 2. What is it about that song that uh, made you want to kind of kick off the show with it? Uh, well, that one, I think it's probably the highest energy piece on the record. <laughs> so, you know, hopefully we can grab some people with that. Um, I think that's, I would say it's probably the best tune on the record. I think it's like, it's interesting because... You know, some of the, the, the and sometimes in translating the, the game music into jazz, 
you really have to sort of like rip them up with the roots and rebuild yeah, a lot yeah. of it musically. That one we really didn't at yeah. all. Like other than a little bit of syncopation and some stops here and there, yeah. it's like note for note, chord for chord, what it is in the game. I think it's a nice midpoint of its its jazz, but it's also really clearly that that Mario two theme, and it sort of it mm. hits it hits the middle, it rides the line really really nicely. And I think the playing between the two of us is some of the best yeah. on the record too. So yeah. that helps. Yeah, of course, uh, Koji Kondo's Mario tunes um, all the way through the even the N sixty four stuff was always kind of jazz in disguise. So it's nice when you get these bands like you guys. And then of course we've, we've spoken to insane and the rain music and the super soul bros who we'll hear from a little bit later in this show uh, in the past. But yeah, it's uh, it's always fun to see that side of it brought out and it's just become so exuberant. It's like, it was just waiting to be set free, so to speak. <laughs> Anyways, uh, you're also bringing us a, another track here, another very recognizable song, of course, not one that originated in a video game but one that has become synonymous with a video game do you want to introduce the second track oh yeah absolutely uh this is um what we call it falling blocks um which is robbie's uh name for um the tetris theme uh type a and no this one is also all the the tracks on this album are like the first tunes we started doing when we first started the band yeah and this one i just the arrangement i really like this arrangement Partly because it's a it's a big guitar feature, so yeah. I can I can show off. When we first started playing it, and we figured out the arrangement, and I turned to Adam and all, we are just trying to be the Dave Brubeck Five, and and oh, I'm yeah. like, and I'm <laughs> totally okay with that because that mm-hmm. that 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 laid back, cool '60s jazz is just like so much fun to play, and mm-hmm. and and we can take that Tetra song and we'll play it in an Italian restaurant, <laughs> and you know, mm-hmm. 60, 70 year old. People they're eating their their spaghetti and 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 red sauce are are loving it because it's you know it's what they they it's the jazz they love you know and it uh-huh. doesn't matter that it's a video game song it's it's yeah. good music this this tune also mm-hmm. is kind of a point of pride um just because when we first started the band just um we were both a little unsure of how it was going to sound just as a duo yeah like there are jazz duos like Joe Pass has really some great duo records but mm-hmm. neither of us are, are Joe Pass. <laughs> And so we were a little little nervous about it. And so originally when we started, we had um there's an app called iReal Pro that has like instant play along tracks. Yeah. And we had tracks running through a Bluetooth speaker when we gigged for the first like three couple months. Yeah. Couple until months. the speaker got stolen. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> but this was the first one, um, partly because I was starting to like, all right, let's push outside the speaker because it's it's it helps, but it's so hokey. Um, and this was the first, and partly because the some of the the hits on this tune just you can't yeah. have them with the track. So this was the first one we did, just the two of us on our own. I think we did this one. I think the first time was at Forbidden City, a Chinese quite place. Nice. We were quite, playing yeah, at, at so, Long yeah. Beach, and it just it's it, it felt so good. It was like we were breaking free. Yeah. So I got I got good memories of this one. Very cool. So let's listen to Falling Blocks, performed again by the Eight Bit Jazz Heroes. Thank you. 
that track you told us about some of the live performances some of the venues that you would like to perform you have mentioned a few times throughout this recording a uh, new album that you've been working on and uh, I, I know that we've been kind of emailing back and forth setting up this interview for a few months now and uh, just kind of waiting for that album to come together so that you'd have something to uh, to talk about so to speak so that that people could immediately kind of go out and access. So uh, why don't you uh, give us a little introduction? Like, what is this album? Uh, well, it's Press Start. It's our first ever album. Um, it's 10 tracks, all the very first tunes we were playing. Almost, I think, exclusively Nintendo music, if you want to count Tetris mm. as Nintendo. Yeah, you know. The Game Boy. I think, actually, Type A first debuted on the Game Boy, so let's let's call yeah. that one. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's, um, it's, it's four Mario tunes, starts off the record. We have two, um, a little interlude with some Metroid and Tetris, and then four Zelda tunes to cap it off. Mm-hmm. We've been emailing for uh, for a while now, and the records have sort mm-hmm. of been sitting there in the ether for a while, just getting us ready to release it. Yeah, we recorded 10 tracks in, well, we recorded it in one day, mm-hmm. <laughs> and then we mixed it in one day, and that was seven uh, months ago, six months it ago? It was March or April. Yeah, it was a, it's been sitting with trying to get somebody to want to release it and going back and yeah. forth of whether or not do we do it ourselves uh-huh. do we do we pay all the licensing you know because that's the, the hardest deal is with playing not your own music is the licensing mm. the recording went super great yeah. i mean having just a two-piece was easy 
recording engineer hit record. We'd play through the song three times and then pick the best one, basically. Yeah, so it was. <laughs> I really was quick. I was very nervous about it. You didn't seem to be. <laughs> I mean, every recording session that I've ever been in, I record my track and then I learn and then I play chess for 18 hours while the guitar player <laughs> guitar player uh, figures out their sound or the singer tries to remember the lyrics or whatever. It always seems that like for me, it's one go. Let's just do it and mm. record it live. And and Adam was kind of of the same ilk. Mm. It's just we can do it live. Yeah. You know, it will do. We'll. We'll do it three times in a row because we've been at that point been playing the songs for months and months and months. And we had really fine tuned them to, OK, we we know this is going to be four minutes long. You know, this is how long we do the solos. This is how long we play the head. This is the form we're doing. We're going to play it right. You know, and and really it, it came down to doing, I think, one track we did four times. Yeah. Because there was like a false start. But mm. we did it three times, picked the best one and get it mastered and it was good to go. It was a two day session. It yeah. was pretty awesome. Wow. Yeah. In what forms is this available to our listeners if they're interested? Hey, it is available. You can get it online. Mm-hmm. Um, it is mm-hmm. um, available through iTunes, Amazon, uh, Google. Um, you can also get it um, straight from the label. Um, we did actually, we signed to a label. We are on Overclock Records, which is a division of Overclock Remix, the big remixing site. It's available on their website, mm-hmm. overclockrecords.com. And then if you'd like a physical copy, um, obviously we're going to be carrying around a big crate of them to all our shows forever. Yep. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> also, if you'd like a physical copy and you don't necessarily live or want to see us in Southern California, just send us a message to social media. We'd be happy to mail you a copy as well. CD or is there any kind of vinyl options? I know that's becoming popular as well. <laughs> just a CD. Just CD because... I mean, we looked into vinyl and it's just so expensive. Yeah, it seems like. <laughs> pressing a vinyl that yeah. maybe in the future, I mean, we have the masters. We yeah. could do that mm-hmm. as I, I, it just seems kind of boutique And especially mm-hmm. for our first record, like yeah. for all we know, four people are going to buy right. it and that's going to be and it. And your mom, my <laughs> mom, you know, and then, his and then wife, my oh, wife. Yeah. yeah and, then, and then I'm giving, I'm buying four more for Christmas presents. So, you know, it's, we're, no, I mean, I, I think people are excited that we're having physical media, but at the same time, I think that a majority of the people don't want the physical media. They, they want to just download the song, have it on their computer, ready to play whenever they want it. Yeah, sure. Yeah. And of course, you know, it's nice to have something on the on the shelf, but not everyone has the room for that. So there are multiple ways you can get this music. If it's something that kind of strikes your fancy, if you've got dinner parties coming up, you want some good background music for, or uh, I even like, uh, you know, good study music, whenever you need something to throw on there to kind of drown out the background noise or whatever. Uh, so why don't we talk a little bit about this next track that we're going to be hearing? Another one of yours. Uh, this one is from uh, Metroid. This song is really important to me. I started playing upright bass school orchestra in, in mm-hmm. junior high. And this was one of the first songs that I ever really figured out on my own by ear. And hmm. I, and it and it was the when you're entering in the code the start menu screen that that A and D holding that that chord and I, and I remember sitting in orchestra playing that chord I'm like oh that's the Metroid song and then so when Adam's like what song should we play I'm like we got to do the Metroid song we got to we got to do the 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 save point fanfare and and the Brinstar theme. And and it's one of the games that I've probably played more than any other is Metroid. 
all the different Metroid mm. versions. Now, of course, the mood of this song is a little bit different than the ones that we've heard so far. This uh, Metroid music by nature is a little bit darker, a little bit more lonely, I guess, to kind of invoke that uh, loneliness of exploring this abandoned planet. So how does this fit in with your playing this at live locations or... Uh, how does this fit in with the overall kind of arc of the album? It sounds like you spent a lot of time kind of determining the order of the tracks and the best way to present them in the the arc of the album as a whole. Uh, well, this one, um, it is it is definitely there's another ballad later on the album, but this one mm-hmm. it is it's lonely. It's sort of like it's somber and a little weird. Um, I thought it was a really nice counterpoint to um, right after Super Mario Two. Which I see mm, is sort of like yeah. a high point. It's so much energy, and then we go right into that that opening mm-hmm. Metroid menu with Robbie just hitting that that A and D. Um, I think that's a really nice balance. Um, so it fits just sort of like that on the album. It's also it, live. It kind of depends. We can use it in the same fashion live. We don't mm-hmm. normally do set lists when we play live. We have about uh, it's like a hundred or so. Yeah, we have gaming tunes. We do some movie tunes, some other stuff. Wow. Um, and it's sort of just picking it on the fly. If we did something fast, let's counter it with something that. Oh, somebody just walked in with a character on their shirt, and yep. we played their yep. song. We're gonna we're gonna throw that into the mix. <laughs> mm-hmm. We were playing at like again an Italian restaurant, and the guy walked in. He had Bell on his shirt. So we th- went. We ran into uh, Beauty and the Beast. Mm-hmm. So you know, we try and do that, and then he perked up because he he realized that we were playing a song for him. And that was pretty cool. Um, but yeah, no, I'm, when we when we play the Metroid theme, we kind of let it be spacey, no pun intended. Uh, you know, we, we, we let it breathe. We let it we let it just kind of go out there. And it is kind of a somber tune, especially the, the beginning part, mm-hmm. the way Adam plays it. He has this whole big open space that he can vamp on the guitar yeah. and just have fun with it. I mean, I, I've heard him throw in Fiddler on the Roof, oh, yeah. uh, all different types <laughs> of quotes. And it's pretty awesome to see what he does with it. And I'm just, you know, holding down the bottom end, and which is what I like to do. Uh, one thing as well, we do also, we sort of temper how we're playing to different shows. Yeah. So say if like we're like in the back of an Italian restaurant, we're not going to be doing super high energy. But I remember we've mm-hmm. done like Metroid on like like big stages, like yeah. the, the OC Fair. And there I actually, I'll put like a bit crusher effect on the guitar and it becomes, it has a little bit, almost like a little bit of like an arena rock yeah. kind of sound to it. Oh. So you can sort of change the style of it depending on what the audience might be looking for. I mean, that, that is really the beauty of jazz is whatever yeah. we want to do, me and Adam kind of get this band mind meld and where we're not really talking to each other, but I we know what we want to do. So we can change it up on the fly. It doesn't fall apart. It just, it's like, oh, now we're going to do it in this style at this speed. He's going to play a lick. I'm going to counter that lick. It's kind of, it's really fun to do that. Yeah. And of course this song, uh, not only has that more kind of somber spacey feeling to it, but there are moments of, uh, of triumph in there as well during that kind of main refrain. So you get a whole emotional journey (laughs) through this track. And I think this, this version of it brings that out really well. So let us listen to bounty hunter bounce a uh, kind of riff on uh, some of the early Metroid tunes originally composed by Hirokazu Tanaka. (laughs) ¶¶ 
So I'm curious about the origins of the band. Now, you presumably have been each playing music for a very long time. We know at least uh, Robbie mentioned earlier uh, playing since school bands. Uh, so what is your individual musical histories? And then how did you link up together and decide that uh, this is something that you wanted to uh, pursue, the the creation of video game music? I started playing, well, I started playing piano. I think everybody played piano when they returned five. Mm-hmm. That was the law. <laughs> and I took piano lessons for a while. That kind of fell out. It wasn't what I liked to do, I think, is really what it came to be. I think I'd rather play video games and then practice piano because I also got a Nintendo about the same time. And then in junior high, I had a friend who was in orchestra and I went to go to the orchestra room with him and walk home together. And the orchestra teacher turned to me and kind of asked me, are your parents tall? And it was just kind of like out of the blue. (laughs) And I'm all, I guess, yeah, they're tall. And he's all, what do you have? He asked me, what do I have? Six period. And I said, drafting. And he said, do you like drafting? And well, not really. It's not that much fun. So I was in seventh grade. And, and he said, want to learn to play bass? And mm. that was kind of like his thing. He would find like, I guess, lonely children. That sounds really weird. <laughs> and like and he would like offer to teach them, teach them music. And that's kind of what, what happened. I learned to play bass. That was beginning orchestra. And, and then the advanced orchestra the next year. And then I got into high school and ended up being the section leader. And I was in the orchestra and the jazz band and the, the marching band. And cause I, I was like, oh, I need to learn to play tuba because I want to be in the marching band. And I just kept kept at it, you know, and just playing with whoever needed a bass player. Wow, that's interesting story. It's like a proper like Joseph Campbell hero's journey type of. <laughs> kind of, it kind of is. And Mr. Elmgreen is is thanked on this CD because, mm. you know, he's the reason I play bass now. So and, and wow. my buddy Lee, who was in the orchestra playing viola. So they're both thanked on the CD because they're kind of the beginning, uh, the beginning stages of, of my bass playing. That's really cool. And then, uh, Adam, where'd you get your uh, your starts? Uh, well, I had sort of a similar start to Robbie. Like, again, like you said, I'm pretty sure every kid in the world, I was about six or seven when mm-hmm. my parents signed me up for piano lessons. I, I assume I probably would have dropped it like like most people, uh, but I had a really wonderful teacher. Um, the guy's name was Jim mm. Tucker, um, and he really, he sort of, he took me under his wing and really sort of, like, he played 
he did basically everything, just kind of a jack of all trades musician. Um, mm-hmm. he was the band leader for like of uh, like old old soul revival groups, like on Platters, Drifters, Coasters. Um, he had jazz trios around town. He had a country band. He played with symphonies. He did like electronic music. And he just, as I started developing an aptitude for music, he started showing me how to do all of these things. He kind of put it in my head early that I can just like with music, you do whatever you want. Like I remember he was, when he started teaching me jazz, which was about, I was about 13 or 14. And, you know, we did like Charlie Brown Christmas and all like the classic kind of like around the holidays doing jazz stuff. And I was Jewish and there wasn't really any kind of, Jew jazz that did not exist. <laughs> um, jazz. And so I remember he he just he's, he was like, all right, well, let's just do it ourselves. And he got like some little like you know kids book of like Hanukkah songs like dreidel and Hanukkah, mm. Hanukkah and all like the the two Hanukkah both songs, yeah, yeah the two that there are. <laughs> and sat me down and said, all right, here's how you just sort of take it and make it into jazz. And from there, you know, I really just took off. I started playing in youth bands in high school. Started, you know, I had a trio in high school. I did a couple club gigs. Um, I studied music, um, jazz in college for a year. Eventually, I, I this was all piano. I really only played guitar for fun in a couple garage bands. I went to school to study jazz piano. It was a little too overwhelming, and I didn't really connect with the piano, despite, you know, Jim as my mentor. I always felt more of a pull towards guitar, so I dropped out. Did a couple other jobs for a couple years. About two years ago, got back into music, and then that's about the time that, that we met, a, a few months after that. I, I answered a Craigslist ad for a, a band that was local in the area that you were also playing in. Yeah. Um, I think that you also connected with the Craigslist. Yeah, yeah, I found it through Craigslist. And then we also found Abel through Craigslist. Yeah. So this is all just a big plug for Craigslist. <laughs> and we, we played together with that crew for about a year. It was jazz, but it wasn't quite the 60s jazz that we wanted. And so mm. we started, you know, why don't we, you know, just start, like, I, I remember calling you up, like, what if I just called a couple places? So I get us just yeah. some straight ahead jazz gigs. And you're like, yeah, sounds great. We started doing them. Um, and at that point, someone was like, oh, yeah, you know, what's what's your band? And we was like, oh, we have a band, I guess, yeah. with the BD Jazz. And it sort of came about, like, piece by piece from there. Hmm. I had been talking with a local label about doing a jazz record. And he was like, what do you want to do? And I was like, I have no idea. And so I started thinking about, like, what would be sort of a personal connection to me. And that's where the first idea of doing video game stuff came from. And so I was like, why don't we do a couple arrangements? We can do them with the little duo we got. And then that was a little spark from there. And it just kind of built, and it built, and it built. And now you mentioned there, I'm curious now, kind of unrelated, has the uh, the niche of Jew jazz in the years since been filled, or is that still an open goal for anyone to take? I don't think I've heard a single <laughs> other, no. no. Well, if uh, any enterprising musicians are out there, then... We got to jump on this then while the iron. <laughs> we, we could do a jazz version of Hava Nagila. What I'm in here now is uh, you brought some Metroid music a little bit earlier, and uh, we are uh, kind of transitioning into a piece that you're pulling from the Super Nintendo instead of one of your own uh, contributions this time. Uh, this is a piece that obviously inspired you. Uh, why don't you introduce this next piece by Hirokazu Tanaka again? The Metroid menu theme is. Like, like I was saying, is r- the first song that I figured out on my own by ear. Before before the internet, mm-hmm. you could just Google the chord changes. And, and I was just so proud of myself that I was like, oh, this is the song. And this is how I can play this song. And I, I figured it out. Because, I mean, at that point, all the music that I've done, including the jazz bands and orchestras, every, you know, the sheet music is put in front of you. 
you're playing every notes that, that were written by somebody else. And that was kind of like an eye opener that I can do my own thing and, and, and take somebody's music and not have to have the notes in front of me. So that was mm, yeah. super important. I mean, 20 plus years later, it's still a memory of mine. So it, it's, it's definitely embedded in, in, in my psyche. This track, of course, from uh, Super Metroid has really nice use of the those Super Nintendo sounds to give it some sound effects in the background of the piece as well that kind of invokes that uh, feeling of isolation of like broken technology kind of uh, while still maintaining its musicality. Uh, there's definitely a lot to like in this uh, very kind of slow and uh, recognizable piece. Anyways, this is the title screen theme from Super Metroid. <laughs> piece of music that you're going to be featuring is a GameCube piece. But before we get to that, I'm curious about, uh, we've heard your history as musicians, and we've talked a little bit about your history with uh, some of the early 8-16-bit games. Uh, But in the interest of transitioning into this kind of GameCube era song, I'm curious, what is your 
history with video games as a whole? Is it just kind of, is it an interest that you've kept up with throughout your entire life? Is it something that you kind of look back on with nostalgia? Is it something that you still spend a lot of time doing? Well, for me, it was really big when I was, when I was young, Mm -hmm. when I was a kid, my folks got my sister and I a Super Nintendo, Donkey Kong Country and Mario All-Stars, but like Mm. had like an old, like a terrible tube TV from like the seventies in our living room next to the big TV. So they keep on us. I, you know, I played a ton with my sister. I was kind of late to the N64, but played a bunch on that. Um, and then with like, the, the GameCube was for me the first like, oh, video games, like crazy <laughs> moment. I remember my mom taking me to Toys R Us. When did the GameCube came out? Was that 2001? Sounds about right. I would have been like 11 or 12 years old. My mom taking me to Toys R Us to get Luigi's Mansion and a GameCube the first day. And I was, I was really into video games until I, um, I transitioned to like Wii. I did a lot of PC gaming in college. Once I sort of I graduated college, just working for a couple of years, it kind of fell out. And it really wasn't until we started this group, because it was all just like nostalgia. I was like, I could play video games again. So uh, this past year, I got a Switch. I'm buying up everything I can for it. I'm having it. I was playing <laughs> Doom on it before I drove to Robbie's house to do this. Um, it's great. Oh, yes, of course, the uh, brand new uh, new release of Doom on the Switch. That's that's an interesting place to, uh, to find that game. <laughs> but you've been primarily a Nintendo follower, it sounds like, throughout your history. Never actually owned a console was Nintendo, other than like a gaming PC in high school. Oh, wow. <laughs> I'm a pretty hardcore Nintendo fanboy when it comes to like allegiances. Cool, cool. And, uh, and are you the same Nintendo on that end as well? A bunch older than Adam. Um, mm-hmm. Our album comes out on my 45th birthday. Oh, wow. And yeah, so I'm pretty excited about that. I'll buzz market it a little bit more. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Press start by the 8 bit jazz heroes. I remember my very first video game system. We had an Odyssey, Ooh, wow. the Sears Magnavox <laughs> video game system that they basically ported Pong onto, and it was black and white blips. I mean, that was the very first one. Then we had an Atari 2600, we had a, a, a billion cartridges for that. I think it was the Atari 7800 we got because you could play the backwards. It was backwards compatible to Mm -hmm. the 2600. So you could keep all your same carts and and NES. We skipped the Super Nintendo. I remember uh, GameCube, Wii. uh, Gosh, I think we had a ColecoVision at one time. I mean, just a (laughs) lot of a lot of different systems. I remember my first apartment playing Half-Life. And we were in the seedier part of Long Beach and I was like playing and took the headphones off and there were real gunshots. I'm like, oh, this is great. You know, so. <laughs> so immersive. Yeah, exactly. So I, I, I love, I mean, I've always played video games. I just, I just built a retro pie. Oh yeah. Me and Adam sure. have been playing a bunch of Super Nintendo games on there because hit, like I, we skipped the Super Nintendo system. So I didn't play any of those games oh. and we're playing a lot of music from Super Nintendo and he's like, oh, we'll play Kirby's Dreamland. Now you'll know the, the source of the song that I love so much. I'm like, oh, okay, that's cool. It's good music, but now I now I know backstory, I guess. Uh, I mean, and I have two, two teenagers, and they're both big gamers. I have the master Steam account, and I, I look at the Steam library, and I'm like, when did we buy 150 Steam games? And my son's like, oh, yeah, you know, you buy me Steam cards, and, and uh, I have friends that give me games. And I'm like, oh, okay, cool. <laughs> Steam. They were $2 a piece. I couldn't resist. I've been there myself. Yeah. And at least he's not buying hats. Yep. <laughs> so, you know, I, 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 you know, I appreciate that. 
what you are bringing us in this next track is a piece from the GameCube, right? In the kind of smack attack in the middle of video gaming history as of right now, anyways. Uh, so uh, what is it about the Legend of Zelda The Wind Waker that uh, stood out to you contemporaneously or uh, right now? For me, that was my first real Zelda experience that wasn't horrible. <laughs> oh, I like as a kid. Bite your tongue. No, We're like, all amazing. Not, no, I, as a kid, I was absolutely awful. Oh, I see. So, okay. Even though I like gaming a lot, I was terrible. I was the kid who always mm. like, I can't beat this. Can I come to your house just so you can beat this boss <laughs> and then I leave? So I, because I had, um, I had uh, Link to the Past. I don't think I did a single. I don't think I understood the concept of dungeons. Ah. Um, I had uh, <laughs> a same thing with Ocarina, where it's like I had a friend show me like. This is like the the forest temple. This is sort of what you do. You find the item, you beat the boss. And I was just like, I couldn't understand that. Wind Waker, <laughs> I think I, I was in high school, which really says how intelligent I am. <laughs> uh, but I like, oh, and I it clicked and I beat the whole game. And it was a really great experience for me. And the music for this one, mm, yeah. it just, it really, like the first time I really connected like emotionally with the game's music, like the piece this is Outside Island. Like, so, you know, the first island in the game. It's so, oh, man. It's, I would turn the game on and just sit there. Yeah. Just, like, put the control down and listen to it. It's so relaxing. That sense of, like, because the expressions in that one, you really like the the cell shading in the cartoon really yeah. makes Link and his sister and everyone seem so mm-hmm. expressive. And it just seemed like the beginning of, like, a Disney movie. Like, you were set on this adventure. Mm-hmm. It was great. I, I played Wind Waker when it first came out and just playing it and playing it and thinking, like, each square is an island and each island is a level and there's so it's such a huge map and just the sense of joy when you're you're running along and and the the music is playing and and you're like this is exactly what I want a game to be. I want it to be light, but still have like some peril. Like when you you know when you when you go to the first the first uh, the dungeon and the the moblins or and you're like oh that's creepy and then the rats mm, yeah. and you you know and everything is just it's but then you you beat that level and you go back to outset island and everything's bright and cheery and you're like oh this is cool there's a market and i and it plays on the cool zelda tropes it was it's such a great game yeah the music in the wind waker has always been really interesting i think that zelda is at its strongest when it is deviating the most from what has come before. And Wind Waker really set its own identity and it communicated so much of that through the music. You got a lot of uh, of Celtic-inspired music. You got a bit of uh, piratey kind of sea shanties and stuff like that. And it all feels so appropriate for the world that they built for that game specifically that it just feels so tailor-made. Although it is fun when you hear a couple of those tunes kind of lightly referenced in Breath of the Wild, which is a very different type of game. But man, that just, uh, it really hits home when it does. <laughs> uh, so anyways, let's listen to Outset Island. This was composed by Kenta Nagata, Hajime Wakai, Toru Minigishi, and of course, Koji Kondo from Legend of Zelda, The Wind Waker. <laughs> Thank you. 
as musicians, you guys perform in all sorts of live venues. Have you ever had the chance to perform at a uh, gaming convention like a PAX or an E3 or anything? Or uh, MAGFest is a popular one for musicians. We are actually, we have not yet hit PAX. We were trying to get into E3 this past year. We mm-hmm. knew um, we were talking to someone. It was a gaming company that was going to be there. And they were going to have us play their booth. And it ended up falling through. Um, mm-hmm. We were actually, we were at MAGWest this summer. And we are going to be at MAGFest this year. In January. Mm-hmm. We got invited to do Mag MAGFest, so we're super mm-hmm. excited. Plane tickets have been bought. We've yep. got everything planned out. Uh-huh. The biggest thing for us doing conventions is my upright bass. Yeah. Oh, yes, of course. Uh, in fact, when we were walking through MAGWest and a guy made a comment about my shirt. I was wearing a They Might Be Giant shirt. And he's like, mm-hmm. oh, I love them. And they played on one of my stages. And then we got to talking and he ended up being Angel, who's one of the bookers for MAGFest. And I'm mm-hmm. like, hey, not for nothing, but why don't you come check us out and see if we're any good? And basically, at the end, he's like, we want you at MAGFest. And I said, wow. flying to the East Coast with my upright bass is a no, non-starter. I'll have to uh-huh. figure out a place that I can rent one for like the weekend. And he said, well, how about we rent you one and we'll just have it on site. And I'm like, wow. okay, that's cool. We'll do that. The furthest we've driven is Sacramento from Long Beach, which mm-hmm. is just about an eight-hour drive north to north, you know, Northern California. Me driving my car because my car, I basically had, you know, I have to buy a car that fits my base. That's the rule. Mm-hmm. Every car I, I kind of lay down in, I'm like, okay, if I can fit in the back, I can. My base will fit. We're of similar shape and size, but um, <laughs> so the, doing conventions is awesome. Love them. We've done. Oh, yeah. I mean, Hanadoki Con. Um, we we've did. done Anime Expo. Uh, Wizard World Sacramento. Wizard World Sacramento. We're uh, gonna be doing Retro City Fest yeah. this January. L.A. Comic Con. I mean, mm. we'll do whatever convention you, you invite us to because there's so much fun. Oh, it's yeah. just you know five thousand, ten thousand, hundred thousand geeks that are <laughs> into the same thing that we're into, and it's just it's like oh we we we're back to Mecca. You know, we've made yeah, the pilgrimage. Yeah. It's all it's all. It's all awesome, but it's just trying to figure out how to get the bass there. We'll go to PAX. I'll drive to Seattle. That's cool. Yeah, so I've never played the upright bass myself, but I am, I guess, peripherally aware of electric basses that look a lot. There's ones that don't have like the full, like a resonant body because they're all kind of electronic. Is that, does that give you a comparable sound or is there a reason why you would choose not to do something like that? It would seem a little bit easier to transport in my uh, lack of understanding of the issue. Yeah, solid body uprights, they sound like electric fretless basses. Mm-hmm. And so there's, I mean, my bass is going on 80 years old. I've mm, had wow. it for 20 plus years. I absolutely, it's it, it it's been through wars, literally. It's got scars, <laughs> but it sounds amazing. And it's such a warm, mm. woody, mm, yeah. full sound that I just can't quite get with an electric because you need that 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 airspace you need that wood to kind of make it full and ringy mm. and, and a, a solid body electric bass just doesn't quite do it i mean i don't want to buy another bass too you know <laughs> i mean i have an upright I, I don't know if i'd pay a couple thousand dollars for something that doesn't sound quite as good well, that's good that's dedication to the craft then <laughs> of course uh before we get into this next track uh, one more point that i wanted to raise is that uh, when we talked to the super soul bros previously they mentioned that they've been having a lot of success with streaming playing their practices and uh, taking requests over twitch 
and then uh, playing kind of live on that venue, that channel uh, for everyone to see. I think they did that like once a week, every Friday night or something like that. And uh, is that ever a uh, venue that you guys would uh, consider performing on? Yeah, we actually about, a, was it about a month ago, two months ago? Yeah. Uh, pretty recently, but we started doing the same thing. We're actually oh, perfect Wednesdays, um, seven thirty Pacific time. We're doing the same thing. Cool, seven thirty Pacific time. Of course, we have a lot of uh, British listeners, and so for London time, I believe that would be around eleven thirty a.m. So you know, maybe when you're on your lunch break or while you're at work and just kind of plugging away at the at the computers or wherever it be, that could be a nice way to kind of tune in and uh, get some some music in your ears. You know what? Everybody who's listening should follow 8-Bit Jazz Heroes on Twitch and get a little <laughs> notification go. when we go live because we want to do more of our live shows on Twitch, mm-hmm. uh, broadcasting. We're trying to broadcast also on Facebook and, and, and do that. And then we also kind of are trying to get into – oh, this is what Adam and Robbie are playing and we're going to sit and do what we do when we're sitting in a car, which is solve the world's problems in our comical 8-bit jazz kind of way. <laughs> Let's listen to some more music. Uh, this is a from a very jazzy soundtrack uh, and one that's quite recent as well. Why don't you introduce this uh, Mario Kart 8 piece of music here? All right, yeah, this is um, the, the SNES Donut Plains music. Um, reorchestrated from Mario Kart 8. I remember this was before I'd gotten back into music. Um, I was I was doing some writing for a video game blog. Nintendo had just put the soundtrack, the whole thing, on YouTube for free right before Mario Kart came out. It was like a little bit of like a spark in my head, like, oh, this is all the stuff I used to love. This one, because I, I played the original Mario Kart through Mario Kart as a kid, and it was sort of that, I may, almost that initial spark of where this sort of idea came from. It was a song I listened to a ton as a kid, Playing Super Mario Kart, it had been reorchestrated into this really fantastic, like, up-Latin, like, organ piece. Mm, yeah. You can take something that was, you know, 32-bit, 16-bit um, from, from when you were a kid, you can redo it as sort of a modern jazz piece, and it just fits perfectly. You know, I love, of course, they put out a lot of videos of the recording sessions of the Mario Kart 8 band uh, performing. I think they have one on the uh, Mute City theme that they did for the DLC and a couple other videos. And you can just see the musicians look like they're all having a blast. A lot of this is, uh, I think all of it, or at least most of it is recorded with live musicians. And uh, so, you know, now we're kind of getting into an era of video gaming where that's becoming more and more common. So have you ever had the chance or ever been approached by like an independent developer who wants some live music in their game? And uh, would you like to do that if you had the opportunity? Uh, have we been approached? Yes. Has it ever come to fruition? Not yet. Um, but we would love to. Yeah, that would, that be, would awesome. be a dream come true. It'd yeah. be so much fun. Cool. Well, that's a little bug in the ears for all the developers out there as well. But anyways, let's listen to the SNES Donut Plains 3, composed by Shiho Fuki, Atsuko Asai, Ryo Nakamatsu, and Yasuaki Iwata from Mario Kart 8. <laughs>
so we are also going to play a uh, track from one of your contemporaries, the aforementioned Super Soul Bros, who we've uh, mentioned a couple times on this podcast already. Uh, they are a very is visible jazz group who's doing video game covers, although in a very different style from the ones that uh, you are doing as well. Um, have you been involved with your contemporaries? There's a, a strong kind of a sense of of cohesion that I get when I see these people collaborating on YouTube with each other and uh, all these kind of musicians that are working together to uh, create albums and uh, videos and stuff for the public consumption. Yeah, we first um, we started doing conventions um, this spring, and already we're you know we're meeting people, we're making friends. We've hung out with the Soul for Soul Brothers a couple times. Yep. And we've actually, right in the last week, we've been reaching out to YouTubers to try and put some collaborations mm. together. Because I think we're fairly new on the scene, we're not as quite ingrained in yet. But it's something right. we'd love to just keep getting deeper into. Yeah, yeah, I mean, there's other geeky musician bands that we, like uh, the Library Bards, we'll shout out Buzz Market then. The Library Bards, they take pop songs and turn them into geeky parodies, kind of like uh, even nerdier Weird Al kind of. <laughs> even nerdier, yes. <laughs> yeah, which is hard i guess but they're really <laughs> fun people and we knew them socially and then they became the library bards and then we became the Bit jazz heroes and we've like and now we're trying to collaborate and like bonnie has uh when we did la comic con she sang uh the pokemon theme while we played it in a jazz hmm. way you know, just trying to reach out to all these like-minded bands because i would love to have like nerd night at some place where there's like three or four geek bands playing right you know and i guess up in seattle is afk which is a, a retro gaming bar mm. slash pub type thing it's something like that and why can't you have four bands playing there for a geeky video game night right trying to to find like-minded musicians and we're all different but doing the same type of music right yeah. i mean soul brothers are high energy funk you know, we're chill jazz. Uh, the Koopas are more punky video game music. Kirby's Dream Band is like surf rock video game music. And it's all mm -hmm. the same source material, but all taking our own different take on it, which is awesome. Yeah. So if you were to ever perform with uh, one of these different bands in some sort of like a collaborative track or a live performance, even one of the things about your music that really stands out with the tracks that you've selected to kind of put forward in today's show is that they seem to kind of thrive on the uh, minimalism of the, uh, the the two instruments that are just kind of like complementing each other and kind of lends it that that chill atmosphere. Do you think that your style of of music of of jazz would work well with more instruments kind of layered onto it? it is, I don't know. It's interesting because that what you've mentioned, like how it sort of kind of harkens back to like the limited instruments of like old mm -hmm. new game music entirely unintentional that's um i originally you know we were talking about it like having like a trio having more people and we started with two partly because we were friends already yeah and because as far as booking gigs go it's a thousand times easier when you only have to pay two people and mm. fit two people in a, <laughs> yeah. in a venue right and so when honestly start with it's out of convenience i feel like the more people we add it would change the sound. It would put us closer to that just sort of 60s white guy mm -hmm. jazz kind of sound. Yeah. I, I feel like the eventual like evolution of this group, eventually it'll be just like, yeah, like the Bill Evans trio mm -hmm. or, or West Montgomery or any of those guys. But if they like video game music, 
we would find a role to play in a collaboration. Mm, yeah, sure. I think we would put our own feel to it, but I don't see us having like nine people in the 8-Bit Jazz yeah. Heroes. Yeah. <laughs> I think a trio is the right number. I almost feel like if we were collaborating, we would sort of be like a frosting on something. Yeah, like exactly. Like mm. we were going to be playing with a different band because we're so minimal. Yeah. It'd be like whatever their sound is, we would probably add sure. to glom onto it. But I don't know. It, it would be difficult to kind of recreate that that sort of right. Yeah. Also, it's part of it too is because we're already good friends. We we play together, you know, hours and hours every week. We like you said, we have that musicians ESP going on. Yeah, and I feel like that's a big part of it too. Is because mm-hmm. like a lot of that stuff, it really adds to that kind of like it. It's just simple and stripped down. We were doing some playing um, last night, and I don't even remember what song it was. It was we were doing the theme from the TV show Monk. Oh yeah, um, the Tony Shalhoub TV show from a bunch of years ago. It has a little coda thing at the end, and I was thinking, oh, it'd be nice if I played this on the offbeat. Kind uh, of fun, different. And then you'd have the exact same thought. Yeah, none of us acknowledged it. Nope. and we just did it. Yeah, without thinking about it. <laughs> and and that kind of stuff, you would you would lose that. And you obviously you would gain other things in a collaboration, mm-hmm. but that sort of thing is sort of unique to just a handful of people in a room. Yeah, sure. Yeah, if you're like a, a piano player and you're looking for an amazing kick-ass rhythm section, we're your guys. You know? <laughs> but I don't think it would be the eight-bit jazz heroes at that point. It would be. Me, Adam, and Abel being your rhythm section. Yeah, yeah. I would be really interested to hear what you guys would do with a uh, with a brass player as well, because that seems so, uh, you know, kind of big and and brash. That uh, to fit in with that more kind of chilled out style would be an interesting challenge. But speaking of brass, the Super Soul Bros have been putting brass front and center for their sound uh, for a very long time, and they've uh, got a really cool thing going on so uh you put forward a a song of theirs for this episode and so i'm uh, curious to hear if uh what you uh, take from this song as fellow musicians it's a lot of things it's complicated because i i you know i i knew the group before uh, i think even before we started this band i was listening to them just sort of casually mm-hmm. um and then obviously once we started doing video game music you know i'm listening to more people who doing the similar thing but it didn't all really click um, until this summer. We were at Anime Expo. They were at Anime Expo. And we checked out their set, I think, Sunday morning. And just, oh, my God. Yeah. Being, like, seeing them in a room, seeing them live, it's just not comparable to anything else you can experience. After mm. the end of their first song, Adam and I looked at each other and said, we need to go and practice. We set the bar. <laughs> it's, and they're just so... It's, it's really unbelievable yeah, how good these guys are. Every single musician in that yeah. band is an amazing musician on their own. Mm, and yes. together, they play super amazing together. You know, nobody's hot-dogging. No. They're sharing the stage. They're they're playing with each other. They're trading licks. Their musicianship is amazing. Mm. And they're just so, so high energy. Yeah, You can't help but tap your foot bob your head and go yeah this is such good stuff so it's like partly so partly it's it almost feels a little bit competitive like the <laughs> partly the the the, the tune mm, we selected yeah. to listen to aquatic ruin zone yeah. we were doing our own arrangement of this last week working on it um and one of the things we all talked about before it is like all right super soul brothers to have their version of this 
It's because in in Sonic Two, it's like an upbeat Latin tune. Yeah, we're all sort of like, all right, well, the Soul Brothers have kind of like the quintessential, just straight upbeat Latin tune. Like it's so you couldn't possibly do it better. Yeah, they mix it with Spain, the Korea <laughs> tune, yeah. which is so because clear you can mm-hmm. really hear the influence of Spain in that song. Yeah, and so to mm-hmm. just like out and out say, all right, and here's a chunk of Spain in Sonic Two is perfect. Yeah. and so we end like, well, we have to do a one eighty, and so part of it is like. It's it's sort of I I I'm a big on art from adversity, and it's definitely um a, a form of adversity to have people who are just so good at music yeah. playing this not necessarily in the same style but with similarities and playing from the same source material. It really forces you to think on your feet. And then partly, you know, as we've become like met them and hung out with them, they're great guys. They're really fun to hang out with. It's really inspiring just to watch them play. It was really mm-hmm. great talking with them at uh, not anime, but Magwest. Magwest, just yeah. talking about they had a class on arranging. We were talking with them about it afterwards, and it was really interesting to see that we all we both we had the same kind of like rule book, which is take <laughs> song and then just straight up like copy paste it into your style. So for them, yeah. like that sort of Chikoria, Herbie Hancock fusion for us, mm-hmm. like sixties Bill Evans stuff. Yeah. And if it fits, if you don't have to change anything and it just fits, it works great. And then if it doesn't work, then it's like, all right, what can we rip off that'll fit? Yeah. It's all about like putting two puzzle pieces together. So like, mm-hmm. for example, like we do Tetris and Tetris just did not work. <laughs> just yeah. like putting it regular into straight ahead jazz. And so I took um, the, the chord changes from Autumn Leaves, which is an old standard, and put that under the Tetris melody and then it flowed. So and then they do the same thing. They were talking a couple different, well, obviously Spain would be one of them, but different funk and fusion tunes. Like, oh, we all, we all played this groove. And then we can layer Earthbound, or we can layer Pokemon on top of it. It's it's a lot. I I'm a fan of them. You know, I like spending time with them. I like watching them play music. It also it puts that sort of musicians competition. Yeah. That little Earth. <laughs> Damn it. Yeah, I can't go to live shows because it makes me angry because I'm not playing music. And then seeing them, and then I'm like, crap! I need to be playing music, and they're so good, and and they're nice guys, and. Like, oh, I need to hate them and do better. And and it's great because, you know, they've been doing what we're doing, but they're five years ahead of us, right? They've got yeah. five years under their belt. And, and and hanging out with Robbie and going, Robbie, what? why do you do this? Why do you do that? Mm-hmm. You know, and, and, and Robbie shares some of those pitfalls that he's like, oh, this is what we do. This is how we got around that problem that you're, you're going to be facing mm. soon, you know, yeah. and, and, and it's great. It's kind of a mentorship, buddy, competitive, trying mm-hmm. to, you know. They feel like an older brother. Yeah. To some extent. Kind of. Yeah. At least to me. I was really That's cool. why we're on Twitch, too. I was talking to yeah. Brian at some point. He was like, yeah, we just we got affiliated on Twitch from doing our streams. I was like, you can stream music on Twitch? <laughs> and it was great because the Aquatic Ruin Zone, when we listened to it, I was like, oh, this sounds like an 80s cop drama. <laughs> So what we need to do is not be an 80s cop drama because we're not an 80s jazz band. We need Mm -hmm. to do it like a 1940s cop drama and just get all Nelson Riddle on top of it. (laughs) Slow it down, still keep the important parts and make it recognizable. But the way that we're doing it, it's just, it's smooth. It's got big, huge, hard hits in it and then it's quiet right afterwards and it's just if you didn't know it was a video game song you would think oh my gosh that's a great 50s jazz piece right that Mm, that's a tv show theme song right that's like that was on abc after peter gunn right (laughs) i mean that's just that kind of 
that the CBS orchestra performs the music of the aquatic ruin zone, mm. you know, that, that kind of feel to it. It's just, it became an instant classic. Right. <laughs> and then that spirit, shameless plug. We were, we were recording, we we're rehearsing aquatic ruin zone on Twitch and on yeah. regular stream. Um, if you're interested, you want to hear our version of it. It's on YouTube. Yep. It's in our Twitch videos. So shameless yeah. plug. There you go. Yeah. That would make an interesting comparison point, especially with the, uh, more kind of uh, straightforward to the style, at least of the original Aquatic Ruin Zone, which we'll be hearing the Super Soul Bros version of the Aquatic Ruin Zone, originally composed by Masato Nakamura from Sonic the Hedgehog 2, a famous piece and a uh, loving rendition of that. So let's go ahead and listen to that.
Now you talked a little bit about your process already uh, in this this last discussion we had before that last piece. Uh, when we were talking to the uh, Super Soul Bros previously, they mentioned how or they talked about how deliberate they are about writing their music and uh, very carefully making you know very detailed sheet music for each part and of course one of the most prominent and uh, i guess famous things about jazz performance in general is the improvisation and you know kind of making up solos and stuff as you go to an extent and so i'm uh, i'm curious about how much of your music is scripted beforehand and how much is improvised on the spot when you're doing these various recordings and uh, live performances? It's about a 50-50 mix. Okay. That sounds about fair. The way we we tend to do it, we we typically don't do a lot of writing. I'm the the main guy who does the arranging, and it's probably out of laziness. (laughs) Normally, we'll just put up like a lead sheet. Not even a lead sheet, just a chord chart. Okay, I, I, you know, I listen to a tune. I figure out what chords are used in the tune. I sort of made a little a tweak here and there just to make it a little jazzier. And I think for the most part, it's just the chords, maybe a, a rest or two written in there. And I, I don't write out the melody. I like to keep it in my head. And in all honesty, it probably would be easier to memorize melodies if I wrote them down to sheet music. <laughs> but at this point, we've been doing about a year of just me doing them by ear when that works. We'll have stuff that's written out in the sense that it's blocked out beforehand, but not necessarily written as sheet music. Like, I mean, for like doing the record, all that stuff was for the most part, um, like we're going to do this, we're going to do this, yeah. we're going to do this. The arrangement was written yes. down just because we wanted to keep it below five minutes. Yeah. Right. Because after five minutes, the licensing fee doubles. It, or, it becomes a, a, it's a different scale. It's yeah. like, it's a flat fee for mm-hmm. under five minutes. Right. I think over five minutes, it's a certain amount per minute. Yeah, but it is more expensive. It's though, more expensive. Five. So we we really wanted to make sure that every song was under five minutes. That was mm-hmm. like our deal going in. So we wrote mm-hmm. out the arrangements. But mm-hmm. when we play live, it's kind of a on the fly negotiation. Yeah. I mean, we always start with the head because mm-hmm. you know you want people to 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 know what you're playing, right? Yep. You want it to be recognizable, and then. We call out who's doing a solo. You know, Adam will say, Robbie, take it. And I'll take yeah. the solo. And I'll take the solo for however many times I feel comfortable doing that solo. And I'll hand it off to Adam. And Adam will do his solo. And then sometimes we'll trade fours or trade twos or trade ones mm-hmm. and just, yeah. you know, let it go. And then we always finish with the head. So when we're live, it's more improv. It, the, it, it's, it's like a shape to it. Yeah. In the beginning, it's usually pretty defined. Yeah, for or sure. Or more, more defined, at least. Sometimes it's like we're specifically starting with this note. When it's like, so like our version of Portal, yeah. um, that one has a lot of stuff actually written out in advance. Harmonies the two of us do yeah. together in unison, where it's specifically written out as sheet music. We're playing this note on top of this note on top of this note. Yeah. And so mm-hmm. for that one, it, it can be like specifically blocked. There's really no room to move in that one. Yeah, um, uh, but like on the other hand, like we do Ducktales, right? Yeah. The Disney cartoon, <laughs> mm-hmm. and every time we play it, it'll be like, "Oh, start vamp on this note." Yeah, and now go to the bridge. Now go back to the head, and we're just kind of calling it out. I don't know. It's yeah. just what feels right at the time, and it, that one's way more loose than all like, of our other arrangements. They're like building blocks. Yeah, and it's sometimes I see like each part is a building block, and you can have a really it's got clear edges or it's just a circle. And then it's like, well, do you want to have all your blocks in a row? Some tunes, it's 
this block, this block, this block, this block. That's just how it is. Yeah. And DuckTales, it's, it's a bunch of them. I actually, I think I was like messing with the chart and then I forgot to tell you. And so then it was <laughs> yeah. different last night when yeah. we were playing it. Yeah. You know, we just make it work. Yeah. And that one too, I think the first time we did that, it was either a request or like an idea and it wasn't even like written out. It was like, let's just do yeah. DuckTales. And it just sort of happened. It's really awesome when the little four or five year old kid yeah. and his sister go, do you guys know the Super Mario tune? And we're like, yes, we do, little geekling. Yes. And then we play it, and they're like, yeah, you play a song we know. And, you know, and it's like, yes, yes, we definitely will honor that request because, A, it's a song we know, and, B, it's from the mouth of a four-year-old. Yeah. Uh, Why don't you introduce this piece from the deceptively jazzy Super Mario 64? All right, this one is the uh, slider theme, that classic Uh, penguin slide. Yeah. Yeah, this was another one where it. I don't think I touched a single chord in it. So well, I added. I added one just so we could loop. Oh, that that part. B. Yep. Yep. Seven chord. The B seven um, chord to make it make it more jazzy. Um, and roll it around. Yeah. But it's just like that tune. It's it's practically jazz in the. It's almost like mm-hmm. bluegrassy country, and yeah. it fits to jazz perfectly. Yeah. We don't even really. Other mm-hmm. than like we and we swing the we swing a little more. Yeah, that's the only difference. Yeah, no banjo rolls. And it definitely is. It is like deceptively jazzy because I feel like Nintendo music. Yeah. It's sort of evolved. Or there's like a, like, especially mm-hmm. with Mario, there's like a style. There's like a house Mario style. Yeah. And it was sort of like, like these like jazz inspired uh, Super Mario 2. That main theme definitely yeah. has like almost like ragtime influences. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Yep. The original, the original Mario theme. I think Koji Kondo based it off of like Latin. It was like a Latin beat. Yeah, that makes a sense. A Latin yeah. jazz that sort of became 8-bit. And just like as the instruments have gotten more developed in the games, there's this sort of like they have like almost like house changes where like you'll hear yeah. stuff in Odyssey or in Galaxy. Right. And it's like, oh, these are chord progressions they've been using year after hmm. year. And it has this sort of like really defined Mario sound. Right, yeah. I mean that ba-da-ba-ba-da-ba-da-ba-da-ba-da-ba-da-ba-da-ba-da-ba-da-ba-da-ba-da-ba-da-ba-da-ba-da-ba-da-ba-da-ba-da-ba-da-ba-da-ba
one more track to play us out today but before we do that we want to remind everyone to venture over to our forum at canandrinse.com forum or get in touch with us on twitter at canandrinse where you can request a uh, video game music track or a cover or whatever you know we we like video game music from uh, all different sources as you have heard today and uh, we will play that on a future sound of play podcast uh, you can uh, request uh, pretty much anything uh, other than like licensed tracks from Tony Hawk games. You know, we don't we don't play that. But otherwise, we're uh, we're pretty open. Uh, I would like to thank the 8-Bit Jazz Heroes for joining me today. And I want to open the door up to anything that you would like to plug or draw our listeners attention to. All right. Um, well, obviously, press start first record and the time of recording this is not released yet but by the time you're hearing this it will be it will be available on itunes available on amazon available on google overclockrecords.com um in person from us if you'd like a physical copy of physical <laughs> cd don't hesitate to, to contact us yeah. if you want us to mail us one that's not a problem at all we are on twitch yeah. every week wednesday at 7 30 uh, pacific time and what is the name of that channel it is 8-bit jazz heroes no caps, no extra punctuation, no nothing. Just eight, the number eight, like in the band name, Bit <laughs> Jazz Heroes. And we also, we have Facebook, we have Twitter, we have Instagram, all of those. Um, same thing, at 8-Bit Jazz Heroes, number eight, no extra fiddle-faddle in there, no punctuation. Yeah. We, we put, um, we'll usually cut up our Twitch streams and put, like, if there's a really good tune, we'll put that up on social media. We will have, um, obviously, info about the album on social media. We will have info for all our shows. If you happen to be in Southern California, or if we are coming to a place that's not Southern California, all the info there is on social media. If you And if you like what we're doing, I mean, jump on Super Soul Bros. Oh, absolutely. See the, how they take the same song yeah. played differently. <laughs> See what the Koopas are doing, mm-hmm. you know, and Kirby's Dream Band. All these, all these great yeah. California video game music people. They all, we're all taking the same source material and we're all putting our own spin on it. And it's, it's really cool yeah. to see that. Plenty of room to coexist. I would say, uh, we have one track left to play today. I do want to introduce us to another very familiar tune from an early Nintendo game. I thought this would be the obvious closer because we try to close all of our shows with this tune. Um, it is the, the original overworld from the original Zelda, like the classic Zelda theme. Yep. 
Um, Robbie has a habit that he'll do, um, depending on the show. <laughs> if it's a show where we're, we have like an audience and there's a stage and there's like the, the pitter-patter between like the, the chat between the audience and the performers, Robbie will throw to the audience and be like, all right, guys. Because we like to encourage people watching the shows, watching um, live, to try and yell out the tunes we're doing to guess them, just to keep everybody interacting. And so Robbie's like, all right, this one is the deepest cut we do. It's super <laughs> obscure. Like, nobody knows the song. And if you do know what it is, don't yell it out. Yep. Whisper in our ear. There's a prize involved. Yeah. I think I think I, I came up with that at Hanadoki. I think, yeah. And it was, during, it was during the halftime show of the cosplay contest. And dozens of cosplayers, like, tried to storm the stage. And I was like, this is amazing. You know? The worst part about it, too, is that we didn't even have prizes. We still don't have prizes. Oh, we, we always have the same prize. <laughs> it's, a, it's a warm and hearty handshake. That is our, our go-to prize. We're you know. <laughs> we're actually working on getting real prizes that don't suck. Yeah, well, okay. Um, <laughs> uh, we're actually we're going to be getting like buttons, um, and ideally, like we like people can show with the buttons. And if you like, you show us the button, we'll give you like an instant request on the yep. spot at a live show. So it's actually like a, an incentive now to guessing Zelda when we play Zelda at the end of every single show. Yeah, I mean, I really thought that all we had to do was make the music awesome, but it turns out you need like merch and stuff, <laughs> and and like websites and, yeah. and and podcast and i don't know i just, just and and ryan thank you for letting yeah, us thank be you on so here. much this yeah. oh yeah cheers it's, it's our pleasure well let's listen to the the very familiar you can scream it out if you know it the overworld theme by koji kondo from the legend of zelda mm-hmm. 